What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to a Wednesday afternoon edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. I am still the aforementioned Chase Thomas, and I am joined by coworker Dan Favalli of Hardwood Knox and Bleach Report. Dan, good afternoon, sir. How are you? I am doing well. Thanks for having me as always. I think this is the first time that I'm on since you've joined Blue Wire. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I believe awesome. that is the case. I believe that is the case. Um, good times, man. This is this is cool. Um, and we keep adding to the team. We got uh, American Prodigy Season 2 coming down the pike in not too not too long. So That's going to be so good. Anything Ken Griffey is bound to be so good. Oh, no. I'm, uh, I'm absolutely uh, here for it. And uh, it's topical now because Griffey uh, now a senior advisor – whatever made up position that uh, major league baseball just created for him. I'm, I'm still okay with it. <laughs> uh, I'm totally, Hey, I'm fine with anything Griffey. If he could teach any of the young players that, that swing of his, um, that's like the last time I remember being really interested in baseball was when Griffey was, he's probably on the reds at that point. So I shouldn't say Pete Griffey, but still, well, let me tell you, um, there's only a third of the league trying to win a championship in 2021. If you're uh, trying to get back into baseball, I'll, I'll let you know. Like, it's a very healthy league where everything is great. Um, you know. I can't do baseball flat out. I it, playoffs and stuff because I do social media. Like, yeah, I can try to follow it, but uh, for the past, I don't know, like 15 years, I've become very disenchanted with. I can't sit still and watch baseball for some reason. Interesting. Here's the here. Can I tell you how to the the secret? to watching baseball i'm ready okay so you got to get rid of your phone step one phone's got to go step two i think we've already lost okay here, so. step two score sheet if you are using a scorebook baseball flies by and it's fun i like the enjoyment i get out of filling out a score sheet um while watching baseball games 10 out of 10 it's so much better because one of the things i like basketball is my thing but like it is difficult sometimes to take notes on basketball games. Football is the easiest. Pro- maybe baseball is the easiest, actually. Um, but basketball, hockey, too, it's just it's really hard because it's it's really fast. And you're trying to figure out who did what. And you want to, like, go back. And, like, there's so many different rotations I want to go back on. And I'm like, oh, what did they do there? Who was that? Was he open in the corner? And it's very annoying sometimes where I'm like, I I can't do that. Like, it's going to take me four and a half hours if I want to get every little note down that I want to make in these games. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, you have to pick your spots in basketball. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Uh, Maybe I should give it another shot at some point. I think part of the reason is uh, that's not baseball's fault. But covering the NBA full time has become very much a year-round thing. And there's also, like... A level of being so overexposed to sports that sometimes I feel like if I'm watching other sports, it feels like I'm working as stupid as that sounds because I know everyone uh, we do cover a game for a living. But I think um, I do get sports fatigue sometimes working, having worked so long in it. Well, this is why I don't have close friends and date sports fans or like diehard sports. I can't do it. Like I 
when I'm done with my work and I'm done with watching and doing what I need to do, I'm like, let's do anything else. Like, let's talk about anything else. Let's do anything else. Like my, um, my biggest pet peeve is like when I tell people what I do and stuff like that. And then they find out and they like, they're, they're excited. And like the internal dread that I have of them getting excited about asking me about LeBron James is, um, it's not fair to them, obviously, because they're just looking to connect. And in my head, I'm like, I would love to do anything else other than um, you tell me why LeBron's a fraud for the next 50 minutes. <laughs> like, I can't, I can't do it. Like, I can't. I hate it so much. I, I really do. I just don't like talking sports with casual sports fans. It just it doesn't work for me. Yeah, there's. A, I try to avoid telling people what I do at all costs. Yeah. It's, it- it comes out it came out of a barbershop once and that was just that was a disaster mm-hmm. just because then you have other people chiming in it gets yes. to, so you got to try and hide it where wherever you can i don't mean to complain about what we do because we're not complaining but it's just fun, like the same but... thing when you're an accountant and you come home and you don't want to i'm sure not to speak for all accountants that you don't want to um just talk about it all night like you don't you're like no that was what i did all day that's what i do most of the week like i'd rather talk about literally anything else no i i totally hear that well, that naturally brings us to the NBA, a sport that you and I don't think about enough, don't talk about enough, don't write about enough, don't podcast enough about. But um, I think we should because, you know, there's a lot of basketball happening. Uh, Dan, who have you been watching the most this past week? Um, I was supposed to do a big deep dive for Bleach Report into the Toronto Raptors. So I was watching a lot of them. And then that got kiboshed in favor of a surprise, surprise, more national angle that we mm. were tackling. So I've been watching a lot of Raptors and... Um, they were interesting because I think people have this impression that they and Pascal Siakam are just bad now um, because of how they started the season and how they ended that Celtics series. And I am semi sort of kind of confident in saying that I think the Raptors have turned a corner and that they're back. Uh, Pascal so Kyle Lowry's staying put. I, I do think he'll stay put. Uh, I did see that his house in Toronto went up for sale, so maybe mm. this take ages extremely poorly. But um, aside from Siakam shooting, which has been – not great this season. He's shooting like 25% on wide open threes. Um, this is a team that can do a lot of stuff. They still have the same concerns. Um, for me personally, it's do they have like someone else who can or anyone who can put consistent half-court pressure on the rim. But I, I think they're a really good team. The defense seems to start. Um, seems like it's starting to perk up. And they're, they're a little bit deeper. A lot. What's that? They're playing four on five a lot because uh, let me check my notes here. They don't have a quality center. Yeah, and they don't want to p- play Siakam at center. And yeah. then when you go with, um, you know, my favorite front court pairing is actually it's gonna be Siakam Boucher. and Boucher. I know. <laughs> they, they can't get a yeah. rebound. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it, it's tough. And the bigger thing for them is OG is actually probably their, you know, if you have a Siakam OG front court, like OG is going to be the better rebounder in those situations and he's injured at the moment. Um, but they feel, I guess the best way to put it is, where people view it as like, well, they should just trade Kyle Lowry and sort of start over. I actually think they're closer to something special where if you were to make a major move at the deadline, I would do so as a buyer rather than a seller if I were them, if that makes any sense. Also, they don't have any depth. Like, they don't really have a lot. That is something I worry about with them is there's not really a lot to trade. They're already thin in the rotation as is playing seven deep. Um Terrence Davis, in and out Thomas. Redacted, as yeah. he's been called. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like you just look at it and you're like, oh, shit. Like they're very, very limited, and they rely so much on their starting five, and um, they need a, they need bodies. And trading Lowry, like they would they would tumble, and they're clawing back into that eight seed. They'll probably flirt around the play-in game, stuff like that. But um, I don't know. I think a lot of it just comes down to 
OG's continued development. Uh, are you? I know he's injured right now, but um, where are we at in the the OG ascent in Toronto? He's, I think, the best version of the the type of player that he's been billed as, where it's a three and D guy who can be locked down on the ball defensively. He's he's hitting, I think, over forty three percent of his threes this year, and he can still really um, attack closeouts on drives. The next element of his game that I actually don't think they've explored enough this season is just more self creation, and I don't think he needs to be Fred VanVleet or Kyle Lowry. I mean, he doesn't even need to be Pascal Siakam, but. Feature him in the post a little bit more. Let him get an ISO a little bit more. There was a game against the Pacers this season where he just absolutely abused Sabonis, um, who's not a great defender, but he's not a slight human either. And OG Ananobi just powered through him both from face-ups and in the post. And I would like to see them explore that more because, as you sort of mentioned, he's their swing piece for the future. That's if you want to be something special now or down the line he's just the the best vessel through which to do it because you kind of know who everyone else is there's still that element a little bit of unknownness with siakam but i think you're always going to look at him and be like well i wish he had a tighter handle and was a little bit more um closer to a number one option than than he actually is so can og ananobi sort of be a, a facsimile of a you know a number two where you have two number two guys in, in siakam and ananobi on uh what would you know they could be number twos on a title contender and what does that amount to? And um, so I think he's this season has been very encouraging. The extension he signed, I think, is going to end up being a bargain for Toronto. But I do think kind of how they've plumbed the depths of Pascal Siakam's offensive game, I'd like to see them do a little bit more with OG Ananobi moving forward once he's healthy. But the thing is, if you want them to be a buyer, he's the one who has to go. Like, he is the one who has to be moved. Because, like, Lowry's The, the not, weird thing is, yeah. is that he kind of can't because of um, the extension he signed and like the poison pill provision. There's, I think he's cheap enough to where like you can make it work um, in complicated fashion. But if you were going to get a Bradley Beal, yes, I would trade OG Ananobi in a heartbeat, but like it has to be that level of player because I do think he's, can I give you a different option here? Please don't say Victor Oladipo. Oh no, no, I I would never. Um, Poor Victor Oladipo as a um, yearly defender of the Indiana Pacers and what Victor Oladipo was in that Cavs series saying this is tough for me but um no this is the answer for me og for michael porter jr again there'd have to be other moving parts there, there but that is very parts. interesting i would love to see that michael is... porter jr get put in the toronto incubator get away from denver get away from Jokic. you give denver the kind of perimeter defender they are lacking sorely this year under team control he can build. He's okay playing behind Jokic and Murray in the rotation. He's okay not torpedoing the offense. Still a lot of high upside, like you said. Number two, number three on a contender. Kind of exactly what Denver needs. Not somebody who thinks, and maybe rightfully so down the line, they can be a number one. It's almost like I just would love to see Toronto place Michael Porter Jr. in their incubator and be like, hey, we're going to give you every opportunity to be the number one. Um and then you put a you put a Kyle Lowry maybe an OG in Denver, and that that is your your trade. Would you do something like that? I might consider it. I just like it feels you're still kind of leaning into the long term there, and so I wonder what your net gain ends up being. If it's a situation where you're you're keeping Lowry and Van Fleet and Siakam, and you're sort of subbing out Davis for Michael Porter Jr., that gets a lot more interesting to me but if you're if you are going to skew towards the long term i think you could argue that og is going to be an easier fit on whatever iteration of a roster that you come up with and if mm. you're 
catering to the big picture. You don't know what type of roster you're necessarily going to come up with. Where Porter Jr., I think eventually he's going to get to the point where he wants a certain number of touches. Um, you're also going to have to pay him, and there's still the element of unknownness with his his injury history specifically, and then what he's going to do on defense. You've already got OG Ananobi on what is going to be a very good contract at four years and $72 million. And Michael Porter Jr., extension eligible this year i don't know what he ends up getting but if you know if he stays healthy he might wind up costing more than og and i don't know that he's by far and away um the better player certainly a a higher ceiling but i have not given any thought to that type of like a swap out and i i have to admit it is it is fascinating to contemplate if you told me that toronto keeps it the rest of its other core intact like lowry van fleet and siakam stick around um and, and it's sort of the og for michael porter jr swap that is that is absolutely fascinating I think it just helps solve a lot of problems for both teams in the near and long term potentially. Um, it definitely helps Denver because they yes. don't need Michael Porter Jr. No, like they don't. He's a luxury for them. Yes, I don't even know if he's a luxury at this point. People, <laughs> um, he, he's playing pretty. Po- he's shooting pretty poorly at the moment, yeah. but like he's he plays or he can play the position that's of most need for them. But he doesn't actually do what they need that position right. to do, and OG Ananobi does exactly. There you go. Um, let's do it. Make it happen. Um, how do you fix the Nets defense, Dan? I don't think you can. But okay. <laughs> it, I mean, you don't have the I – don't, I don't know what the move is, what the player out there that helps. They need a um, a P.J. Tucker type in the sense that they need someone who's physical up front and can really move. And But they also need someone who can help them on the defensive glass. And we've seen it when they downsize with Jeff Green or even a Kevin Durant at the five. Like Those lineups just are not grabbing rebounds. So, And if you have Tucker at center, you're not necessarily going to do that either. Um, can you get a Thaddeus Young might be someone, um, not even, the, not even the greatest rebounder, as I mentioned him, um, I thought before he got injured, I don't know if they had the, the asset equity to get him because I think Orlando would have to be interested in Spencer Dinwiddie and his bird rights, but Aaron Gordon would have been great for this, for this roster, but you need like that four five type who, if he's not going to help you on the glass, like at least give you someone who can switch across some wing positions because you don't want Bruce Brown and Kevin Durant just to be your best wing defenders. That's not, well, Bruce you know, that's not, is he even in the rotation right now? He's gotten some, he DPCs. played the other night. I mean, okay. his minutes wax and wane it, yeah. when, you know, his shooting's a liability, which really shouldn't matter on a roster like this. But if you have so many ball dominant guys, you do want um, those who can stroke the, the three off the catch. So um, they need that type of a defender. And I don't think, you know, I, ideally you get like a lockdown stopper on the perimeter. They're just not going to get that because they don't have the, the asset equity but if they can get someone who can help them on the defensive glass and just switch across you know even the three four spots like i don't mind jeff green going up against centers and then deandre jordan will be mismatched off the court uh so ideally you'd be looking at an aaron gordon or a thaddeus young type player but I, I do think you can go lower lift there and you have to go lower lift i just don't you know you know pj tucker might be the ceiling on their type of acquisition that's left and at the same time it's like well why would houston give brooklyn pj tucker after giving them james harden already so um, I don't know what the answer is. I don't this season specifically. I don't think that there is one. Yeah, I don't. So here's the thing about the answer. It depends on like what you are worried about. Because like the Nets are playing down to their competition. Like they really don't get up for games like last night where they lost to the Pistons. Um, but the Pistons are playing pretty solid. Like I saw a stat that was kind of crazy. Is the Pistons are their six wins this season are all against playoff teams. <laughs> they get up for big games. It's kind of the opposite with them. But the Nets are seven and one against the best teams in the ba- in basketball this year. They get up for the good teams. They're going to get up for the good teams in the playoffs. Um, the Nets are going to 
ease their way. Like, I, I am so unconcerned about the Nets getting out of the East. The East, like, the number three seeds, I think, 14 and 12 at the moment. Um, the Nets are going to steamroll the East. Like, that, it, it's over. Like, I, I don't understand why we overthink this. Like, no one's stopping them in a seven-game series. If they're fine, the big three are fine. Like, they are steamrolling the East. Now, do they have a shot at the Lakers or the Clippers? No. Not at all. There's not, like you said, a defensive fix there that will prov- that will get them in a position to take the Lakers or the Clippers down to seven-game series. But I do think they have enough in this three with three of the top 15 players in basketball. They are going to just ease their way through um, the East. I, I am not concerned. So when I see this, I'm like, nope, they get it for the teams they're supposed to. They'll struggle through the through the. Uh, regular season and then come playoff time we're going to be like oh right this is insanity they're going to give up a bunch of points but they're also going to score more points than the opposition four times out of seven uh and that's it that's it, it it's just I, why do we do this i i don't know why we do this i mostly agree with you i just don't think that even if harden durant and Kyrie Irving are playing at their peak that they're necessarily a guarantee to walk out of the eastern conference oh guaranteed they're, if they're at the peak and they're all, it's a guarantee. It's a guarantee, Dad. Kevin Durant's out of his mind this year. Kyrie's he, aren't playing well. He is, but I still think Milwaukee and Philly are, are two teams oh, that God. could get them. We'll get into Philly. Play. Are you ready to talk about Philly? I'm ready to talk about Philly. Okay, because Joel Embiid, great season. Seth Curry having like just a 50-50-100 season, which is pretty bonkers too. But like, Philly's not winning the East. Why? Like, like they're not they're not they're not stopping the nets in a seven game series it's just not happening who how does this work how did the how did the sixers score enough to handle the nets in a seven game series how they i mean they're look at the way tobias harris is playing seth curry oh before. I mean, the tobias that, that's the that, i guess that's it like tobias has to be sugar ray leonard roberto duran marvelous marvin Hagler, and thomas hearns legends whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. The L.A. Clippers to buy us for a seven-game series. Yeah, and I mean, he's been that basically all. He's been even better when you look at his shooting numbers. Mm-hmm. And I think, look, Seth Curry does things to the floor. And he's mm-hmm. not even – Seth Curry hasn't really played that well by his standards since coming back from, from COVID. And um, so if – I think the one for me with Philly, the roster makes a lot more sense. We can't underestimate that. But defensively, they might be the team that just matches up mm. the best against the Nets because you have Ben Simmons, who you can just throw on basically any one of those three guys. You have Danny Green, who I probably wouldn't mind. If, I, if I'm them, I throw Danny Green on Kyrie Irving, and he probably at least can perhaps hold his own. And then you just have Embiid, who I don't, you don't want him as the primary defender on a Kevin Durant if they go super small. At the same time, well, and do right. Kevin Durant will play the five for the majority of those minutes. But I mean, they're going to risk just getting killed. Do you want Kevin Durant defending Joel Embiid in the post, um, or even off faceups? Mm. He's just so physical, and Durant is so slight. Maybe you throw James Harden on Embiid at that yeah. point, just because he's more physical. But I don't know how much that helps you. And with the way Embiid has been playing, um, and also just defensively, the thing I've noticed about the Sixers is it feels like Embiid is being a little bit more aggressive. So if he's coming out a little further, he might actually be more equipped to go after a. Um, a Kevin Durant. I don't think it's a good matchup for him. I want to make that clear. But I do think because of Ben Simmons and then having Danny Green, 
Um, maybe their team, they, they also have Matisse Thibel if they want to play him, by the way, which could <laughs> really help defensively if they can survive his his poor shooting. So that's the team I look at, along with Milwaukee, that I think could actually slow down this Nets offense enough insofar as that's even possible. I want to make that clear um, to make even with those three playing at their peak, any seven game set um, really difficult for for Brooklyn to Brooklyn to win. And the flip side of anything is they're going to give up just as many points as they put up in, in Brooklyn. So um, I don't think they're as big of a sure thing as people believe. Perhaps if they make a defensive addition close to the trade deadline, like um, a PJ Tucker buyout seems to solve a lot of this. But like, is Trevor Ariza going to make you feel that much better about the Nets? No, PJ yeah. Tucker would though. Yeah, I mean, I just don't. I mean, PJ Tucker's not playing well at the moment. He's shooting like negative five percent from three over the past couple weeks or something like that. that. If he's closing over Jeff Green, like I don't think any of that. Like I think it's it's okay. I just how do you get your path to PJ Tucker feels fuzzy because I the um the Rockets control so many of your picks um that and I, I don't think they control this season. I've lost track of that, but I don't think they're going to want to help the Nets out in any fashion. So they're not buying out Tucker either. Like, he will get moved somewhere. So I think he's almost off limits by virtue of the team that sort of has him right now. Mm. So it sounds like you're a bigger believer in Philly than Utah. Which is, you are correct, and it's also wild just based off, you know, when we recorded probably a podcast around this time last year, I think both of us were just out on Philly because the roster made no sense. But the way Embiid's playing has been um, a big part of that for me. And then I mentioned Tobias Harris before. With Utah... I want to make it clear I don't want to disrespect them because they are if you they might be the best regular season team in the NBA. Yeah, uh, they have, you know, is there a roster that has more really good NBA players like one through nine? I don't know that they're there like is. Pa- they're like super pacers. <laughs> right. And um, so I and look, the shot creation stuff that used to be a problem in the playoffs, it's just not anymore because even Bojan Bogdanovic is perking up. Mike Conley's dealing with a hamstring injury, but he's played better this yeah. year. Um, and then Jordan Clarkson has just been, you know, people were hating on that contract, and I thought it was even a little He's much right for him. But, yeah, blowing the um, the doors off on offense. The thing for me is they are so good defensively, and they're even winning the minutes without Gobert right now, though they are allowing parades towards the basket. Yeah. I If you go up against the Clippers, if you go up against the Lakers, um, I just – who is the wing? Yeah, they that, don't have it. They oh, oh, Royce O'Neal is the answer, and he's just a little too small. People bring up how Joe Ingles has defended Paul George well in the past. That was a really long time ago at this point. He's slower now, and that's only one like answer. If you're facing the Clippers, they're still Kawhi. If you're facing the Lakers um, and you have to choose between – I don't think they have anyone who can match up well with Davis or LeBron, but yep. let's just say you can limit one of them. Then there's the other one. Um, they they match up better against teams, I think, where there are star guards, where O'Neal can get after, like a Phoenix might mm-hmm. be a team that they would – have a better chance again so they might if you can get pj tucker on utah if you can get thaddeus young on utah they seem like they're that type of player away from Aaron being, Gordon would actually fit really well there yeah i've tried to get him there but they just don't unless you're trading joe ingles or yeah Dark why Tate. not this is another thing i'm writing about this this week so spoiler alert i'm doing a big thing on the jazz where it's like they're forcing the jazz front office's hands where it's like they are so good now they are the number one team in the West that cannot win a title. Like, that is something that's got to be... Like, they have to look at it this way. Of Like, the way we're constructed is we can win a shit ton of regular season games, but we are not... If we finish number two in the West, there is no path to them making the finals. Like, there's no path to them beating the Clippers and the Lakers. Like, that is not happening. That is not a thing. I don't even think Jazz fans, the most optimistic ones, would bet on them to get through that gauntlet. But... The way around it is you have to sell high on these role players that are playing out of their mind, like the O'Neals, the Ingles. Like, it's going to hurt to trade one of these guys. But, like, to give, you can't give up Conley. You can't give up um, Mitchell. And you can't give up Gobert. 
everyone else should be on the table this year because you don't know that next year everything is going to click this much. Conley could fall off a cliff. Uh, guess what? The, we already saw what happened off the court with Gobert and Mitchell. That was almost beyond repair. And now they're playing well. That could just come up really quickly next year too. They should be right. There should be a sense of urgency in Utah so strong that they're like, how do we get Bradley Beal? How do we do whatever? Like whatever you have to do to add someone on the wing, like the problem that we just both looked at, it's like there's no path. So like you were right there. Go for it. Do whatever you can for Aaron Gordon or whoever it is. But you just standing pat and being like, well, we have our eight guys and we believe in blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, guess what? You just torpedoed your season. Like you had this great thing and you could have been a champion, but you decided to be a great regular season team. Like we're going to learn a lot about the Jazz whether or not they believe that they're the Pittsburgh Pirates of basketball <laughs> or they're the New York Yankees. Which one do you want to be? Right. And I would... Um, argue very heavily that they just don't have the the assets to do a, a Bradley Beal level trade, but Gordon well, is the name. Say, I was just throwing out names. Like You need yeah, to go after guys like that. You need to take he, a big look, swing. If, if he's going to be fine after he comes back from his injury, I think he's out for another month or something, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I think people could... You know, There is a path where if you were able to do favors, um, George Niang, and then Azabuki plus picks, I think that gets you Gordon. But what you already mentioned is they have so many good players, Like then there's no easy like yank from the closing lineup because if you have Aaron Gordon he should he should close because he's going to be defending some of the best players and so you should be more open to giving up you know I wouldn't do it for PJ Tucker because he's so old I wouldn't yeah. do it probably for Thaddeus Young either because he's uh, I mean he's been pretty good on the short roll offensively this year but um just next to Gobert that gets iffy Gordon's a better shooter than him you have the luxury of if you want to, you know, I don't know that I would give up Boyan Bogdanovich just for Aaron Gordon, but if it's part of the package, you could consider it. Um, Jordan Clarkson even. And I think you just, they have all these shot creators now. I guess Mike Conley's free agency adds a um, some, you know, if you don't know he's going to come back, then you don't want to give up one of your shot creators. But Mike Conley's on the backside of his career has never been a guy that wants to seem like to jump around. You're going to get him back if you want him. So I think you do have the luxury of moving in angles of Clarkson or Bogdanovich, um, whether it's you know for one player or part of a, a bigger deal, um, if you can get an Aaron Gordon without giving up, let's say your top six players um, or top seven, we'll throw or top six. So I would say Conley, Gobert, um, Bogey, Clarkson, Ingles, and O'Neal and Mitchell. So top seven. If you can do it, then yeah, absolutely do it. But someone's still going to have to sit during those closing units if you want an Aaron Gordon to play. And that's also what's tough about Utah on the buyout market is. Why would a let's say PJ Tucker or Trevor Ariza gets bought out? They're not going to be guaranteed a spot in the closing unit in Utah, and so that's why they're not probably not going to be this buyout destination either. So if you have a chance to get that impact defender, and maybe they don't view Aaron Gordon as it, I think that's fair. But they don't need someone to protect the rim because they have Gobert. They need someone to go after fours and threes, basically. And Aaron Gordon is well equipped to do that. And maybe this is maybe you can strike now almost while he's injured because that might lower the cost, and he's going to be a free agent after next year. Um, but that's the name I've had circled for them for quite some time. I just don't know how his injury changes the complexion of that. Yeah. And then my favorite idea, and this kind of leads into some Spursy stuff. I mean, DeRozan's playing very analytics-friendly basketball this year. Dan, what if you throw De- what if you throw DeRozan in the mix? For in Utah? Yeah. How does that help Utah, though? I think it helps in the closing moments where it's like they have different guys that they can go to where Donovan Mitchell is not required to do everything and that everyone looks at Donovan Mitchell because he's the only one who can create his own shot. Um, I think it takes a lot of the pressure off Conley too. Um, the cutting and the passing, like it would hurt the defense, but if you close with Royce at the four and or Ingles, Gobert, the Rosen, 
Conley, but you could also pull Conley for Bojan in situations. Like, I don't think DeRozan would cost that much. I don't. Like, he's on the last year of his contract, too. I mean, technically, you could just do DeRozan for Conley and just bet on the upside there. Um, I don't know. I That was something I was just thinking about of, like, who could who is another name that would make somewhat sense over there i i would not hate derozan taking a flyer and just taking a shot on derozan because of how well he's playing this year he's playing well but part of why he's playing so well is that the spurs have him defending a lot of fours which if you're the jazz you would need to have the luxury of doing and i don't think you know you know you're talking about the value he'd add on offense i just don't think that's going to be the the issue for them it's going to be defensively and he doesn't move the needle there at all and i think you could argue that Conley has been just as good, if not better, than him this year. Um, a team like Toronto might need what DeRozan brings at this point, uh, more so than than Utah. I think they need to skew heavily towards defense if they're going to to do anything. I mean, you know, they should really be calling the Pistons and seeing what it takes to get Jeremy Grant. Yeah, that's another at this one. point. Yeah. <laughs> um, does Lonzo Ball make any sense there in Utah? Yeah. I don't think so because he's really good defensively, um, but he's not like a great one-on-one defender. And even though he's six-six, uh, you don't want him going up against like threes and small ball fours. I imagine him going up, you know, having to defend check LeBron James or Kawhi. It just wouldn't work. Yeah, maybe. I thought about Josh Hart for them too. Yeah, but he's also smaller. Um, he has defended some fours, but again, in the context of defending Kawhi or LeBron and or even Anthony Davis, like it's not about stopping them; it's about having a viable body to to go up against them. The Heat have won three straight, ten and fourteen, I believe, as of this recording. Um, do you think the Miami Heat can get back into the swing of things and back into contention in the East? I do. I don't know how much I buy into those three games being a reason why uh, they beat the Knicks twice and the Wizards, which is just you know I know the Knicks were better than expected, but that's still a big whatever to me. Oh, can I They're... do a twenty second part on the Knicks real quick? Uh, yeah, go ahead. Okay. Derrick Rose and Emmanuel quickly going really well. The people who are freaking out about the Derrick Rose. They've played one game together though. Chase. No, no, no. What I'm okay. saying is like the mindset. Did you read the, the quotes from Derrick Rose and how Tibbs is going to use them? Yes, I did. Okay. He wants to be a mentor for Not the just a mentor. Guys. They were playing him together last night. I watched this game this morning. They were playing him together. Rose, I don't think has it. Like he has so much self-awareness at this point of who he is as a basketball player. He has no interest in, in hurting Quickly's minutes or time. People who are worried about Quickly and like what this means, I'm like, I don't think that's going to go this way at all. I think it's just going the opposite way. I think this is actually going to be pretty great for uh, Manuel Quickly. But anyway, continue. Yeah, I don't even want to get into the Derek Rose trade. That was just, I think it's innocuous on its face if you end up moving Alfred Payton. That's just where I'm at. I don't think it really helps her or hurts them um as a frank nilakina truther i would argue because he's not frank nilakina truther in 2021 but i love it oh damn i will uh, i, I hope it. he ends up somewhere else i think he's still gonna be good but um, i would take him in atlanta three, because chris dunn has played exactly let me check my notes here uh zero minutes well atlanta might even might even need alfred payton because uh rondo has been pretty bad for them no i don't too. want more of those i don't want more rondos i don't want bad rondo what no don't give me still, rondo i don't understand why atlanta rondo. didn't Okay, okay, here's the scenario, though. Would you have rather them have given Rondo the contract that he has or just claimed Alfred Payton when the Knicks waived him because they had all that cap space? Um, you would have just had him neither? on your deal. Well, neither, but if you had to have Rondo for two years or Alfred Payton for one, it seems like a pretty easy Oh, yeah, decision. Payton for one, yeah. Well, then again, then again, the one thing about Rondo is, like, I don't know what he's doing with Trey behind the scenes. Like, I don't know if he's helping, how much he's helping Trey and Bojan. And I, I don't I Bogdan and... Um, Herder and I don't know and I, I really don't know like I don't know because he's so much of a coach that I, I just I don't know what he's like behind the scenes I guess that's my one Atlanta's caveat. also just 
a, a big incomplete at this point because of all the injuries that they've had. Like you said, Dunn hasn't even played for them. But what was that? Oh, we were talking about the Heat. Yeah, sorry. Something still feels off with them. And I, I think, look, they'll be fine because Jimmy Butler is going to play better. Um, I'm curious to see whether they stick with Tyler Hero coming off the bench because he's been lights out um, the past three games since moving him from the starting lineup to the bench. How does Goran Dragic return from that ankle injury change that? They're missing Avery Bradley for the next month with a calf strain. They've used 16 different starting lineups this year, which is just a boatload given how early we are into the season. But there still are bright spots. Tyler Hero's finishing better. Bam Adebayo shooting 47% on long mid-range attempts, so he counts as a floor spacer now. What I, what feels off about them, aside from, yeah, there's rebounding issues, I think you could probably argue that um, their three-point defense has not been the greatest either. I, I, I don't want to say this guy ends up being the missing piece, but this feels like the void on their team is that I don't know that letting Jake Crowder walk was a good decision for them, and they weren't playing Mo Harkless really before he got injured. Now you just don't have that dynamic four option, and it seems like even if Jake Crowder wanted a multi-year deal – that always would have been a guy that you could move later if you wanted the cap space. And I think that's what com- comes back to bite them. And that's just assuming that Drogic stays healthy, um, that Jimmy Butler sort of normalizes his performance, that Tyler Hero's shooting picks up like it has. And those are still, I would say, at least a couple of those, particularly Drogic, like those are legitimate question marks. But you've had to try out, you know, when you look at their power forward rotation, like, yeah, cool, K- Casey Akpala is kind of fun on defense, but what is he giving you consistently um offensively so i don't know i i feel like that's going to prohibit them from being at the same level even if they do peak this season from where they were at last year unless they make some sort of a move at the trade deadline which again is always possible but they're also in this weird spot where like yeah you have tyler hero but it seems like they only would move him in a very specific trade which there's one player that might qualify there and in bradley beal it's do they sort of have that medium-sized move in them to do something and the answer to me is i honestly don't know but i would i would say that relative to where they finished last season it feels like even if they are going to be fine this year their peak is going to be substantially lower interesting i think they're going to do something the heat have been too quiet i I think they're going to do something um the spurs like we mentioned a little bit 14 11 aldridge and derozan are shooting threes derozan's passing's really good this year dejounte murray is becoming we're like where do you think DeJounte Murray falls in the, the NBA hierarchy right now in terms of lead guards and lead ball handlers? Where, where does he fall? I've, that's such a tough question. Is he, like, where you're trying to say he's, like, top, what, 30 now among guards or something? Yeah, is, is he would... top 30? Maybe top 25? He might be close. I mean, the, he definitely looks a lot more confident and composed on offense to me, and that's something that's huge. I also think that he and their guards in general have done an excellent job of pushing the pace after defensive rebounds. So he definitely feels more plug and play, which is good for the Spurs because his type of game felt like it wasn't very scalable across all these different lineups. He's still just a tough player to figure out for me because I don't know that his perimeter volume is there just yet. And it's, you know, he's shooting 36% ish on threes over the past 10 games. Can he sort of up that, though? And that's still going to be the long-term swing piece for him because there are still awkward lineups um, offensively when, when he's on the floor. But I do I do agree with you. He's I guess he's difficult to place for me, but in a good way. He also just rips the fucking ball out of the guy's hands in amazing ways. Like, he's my favorite person to watch on defense, I think, in the NBA. Like, he is just mean. Um, Keldon Johnson, though, what do you, did you see this coming? What is Keldon Johnson? 
Like, I just, some of the young guys in San Antonio, like, I was so high on Lonnie, and now I'm pretty low on Lonnie, and I was so high on Derek White, and now I don't really know what Derek White is. And now, I just, their guards and wings, I just, it, it's almost impossible for me to figure out. Um, what do you make of Keldon Johnson, and what is his ceiling? Keldon Johnson might be the most reckless player in the NBA. <laughs> just watching him try to steamroll people on drives, and it doesn't always work. It's, like I said, it's reckless. Um, if he can hit um, threes with better consistency and we kind of saw him do that last year but in just smaller samples um he ends up having the i don't i don't know what the player like archetype ceiling would be but he ends up having the ceiling i would think of does he have the highest ceiling of their young wings i think it's possible i would still have Derek white there not playing too well but he is just still working his way back from from injury so i think you could safely say that he might be their best young prospect at this point i would say he has a higher ceiling than murray if you're going to tell me kelvin johnson has a a consistent three-point stroke i remain super intrigued by devin vassell though that um you know you mentioned they have so many wings which i think is a good thing but i look at white um murray kelvin johnson and devin vassell as like this legitimate four-player base who you technically can play all at the same time moving forward and the spurs have long had like a you know, a deficit of wings and or like these players with length who can play these multiple positions. And now they have, you know, White and Murray aren't traditional wings, but you can move Murray around just because he's so he's big for a guard and, and he's sort of long and the way he defends is super physical and effective. So I like that four player core for them. But I, th- I do think, I, again, I don't know what the best outside player comp would be for a for a Keldon Johnson, but there's a chance that I might like him better long term than any of the the other guys that I just mentioned interesting um what is ailing the grizzlies look i mean i still believe in their defense even though it's been bad over this recent losing streak um teams are shooting like 70 percent at the rim and 50 percent from three over their, their last four games what i think they absolutely need is that second shot creator next to john moran and i don't think a healthy Jaron jackson jr or even a justice winslow should he play this season i don't know if that ends up helping them they need they need the idea of dylan brooks in better execution. And that's why I've said, if you can get Victor Oladipo for super cheap, um, that might be a good landing spot for him because he feels like the perfect fit next to John Morant right now. And if they get that type of player, um, they become dangerous immediately. But I, I do think their defense, when you look at the ball pressure they're able to to put up, and even some of the looks they're able to limit around the rim, and Jonas Valanciunas, now that he's back in the fold, should, should help there. Um, I buy into their defense staying top 10, top seven all season, but th- their offense is going to be capped just because they need that second shot creator next to John Morant. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think getting Jaron Jackson will be really helpful for them. Um, I, I don't know. Like, I think one of the things that's going to be interesting about the Grizzlies with their picks and their future situation is that it is so hard to keep this many guys, this many young guys um, on the same linear path and Bain and uh, Tillman and Jackson and Morant and Brooks and everybody else who's coming in. Like, it's just impossible. No team's done it before. Like, this is not something that you can do. Um, One of these guys will fall off a cliff. You won't be able to pay all these guys, and you just got to figure out which one's to work and which one fits the best. Like, it's going to be very fascinating to see the Grizzlies in the next two to three years and what they look like and who's still uh, standing in this group. Um, Would you – Yeah. something I've given thought to, and I don't know that I I would endorse it, but would you build – and if – if he's let's say he's willing to stay, if you get him to, do you like Bradley Beal in Memphis if it costs you Jaron Jackson Jr., let's say probably Xavier Tillman, 
maybe Desmond Bain, and then just other. You get to keep Brandon Clark and obviously John Morant, and you're giving future picks up in that deal. Do you do you like that type of a move? Because what you just described, which I agree with, is a team that's going to need to consolidate their assets at some point because it's hard to keep. You know, growth one isn't linear, and so it's just hard to keep those players all on the same track in general. They're all going to need to get paid at some point. I mean, Justice yep. Winslow, free agent in 2022. Um, Jaron Jackson Jr.'s extension eligible this summer. John Morant's going to be the summer after him, as will Brandon Clark. And so you're getting to a point where, yeah, we're thinking a year and two and three years down the line, but you have to because these players are so young. Yeah, I don't know if it's Beal, but I do think them going big fish hunting would be something I would do because you know what you have in Morant. And I, Brandon Clark and Morant, I think are probably the linchpins and Jaron Jackson just being the huge question mark. And maybe you just want to sell high and you're kind of worried about the injury stuff and stuff, especially when you look at uh, Chris Tapps and stuff. I don't know. I would just be more and more wary of the seven footers um, like Jaron Jackson, but I do really like Jaron Jackson. I just, I don't know if yeah, it's... he's there. He's clearly healthy would be their second best player. Or if you just want to say the player with the second highest ceiling, yeah. but um, I don't even know. Is that ceiling that of a always be a part two? of it? I don't know. I yeah. I mean, and you mentioned Chris Tapps. I think that's a good, you know, it's not a perfect comparison because Kristaps is a much better rim protector, but we're probably in a position where we need to have a conversation about is KP a legitimate number two? And Jaron Jackson's of the same vein where he's not going to give you, yeah, he spaces the floor like crazy. And his his three-point volume, that's absolutely huge and opens things up for everyone. But you still need that other shot creator, and mm-hmm. he's not that guy. And he's probably not going to anchor your defense at this point. I know no. he's still he's still switchable and can be mobile, but he's just he's not a rebounder, not this great rim protector. I don't think they've wanted to use him at the five when he's he's been healthy. So those are tough conversations to have, but John Morant is, well, John Morant is one already so good. And two, Jaron Jackson Jr. is close to his next contract that those are conversations that you need to have. Absolutely. Um, the Rockets are starting to get injured and fall off. Um, do you think the tailspin's coming in Houston and we're going to start seeing some, some more, uh, pieces being consolidated and moved around? Yeah. I mean, they've been bad, um, over the past few games. They're just the shooting, Oof, I think P.J. Tucker, like I said before, is at like negative 5% from three. Um, Victor Oladipo has struggled there a, a lot, not even getting to the free throw line as much as he was in Indiana. Now he's dealing with a um, a quad injury, which is always a red flag with him. The Christian Wood injury is um, absolutely crushing to what they're able to do on offense. Boogie hasn't looked great. I think John Wall's had some good games, but you also have to talk about the the value proposition of does it make sense to have him chuck six, seven threes a game when he's only knocking them down at a 31% clip? If you can guarantee he's never going to take a long two again in his life, I would say it's worth it, but you can't guarantee that either. Um, I think, you know, I, my guess is they probably want to keep Deshaun Tate, but there's no one on this roster who should be untouchable right now. And the names that I'm watching, there's P.J. Tucker, there's Oladipo, and then I would see if teams start to come calling about Daniel House or Deshaun Tate himself because Tate has been fantastic defensively, and he is, you know, they, they did find him, but he's on the older side. I think he's... He's 25, so if you can get good value for him alone or maybe he's part of just a bigger deal that ups your your asset return, um, those are four guys that I think are going to generate a ton of, of interest for them, and I would be open to moving every single one of them if I was Houston. Last thing we'll wrap up here, Dan. Um, the Denver Nuggets. They're struggling. They're fighting for their playoff lives out west. Um I'm weirdly excited for this. We talked about the Michael Porter stuff. We talked about what this could mean and like what some of the like the glaring issue they have at the wing spot, kind of like the Nugget or the the Jazz in similar ways. But 
are you excited to see them play 500 basketball? Because the nervousness that Connolly in this front office will have to deal with for the next few months with Murray and the hot and coldness of his game and Jokic playing at an MVP level. Like I am very fascinated to see how much longer the Nuggets put up with this before they're like, we have to shake things up and admit that we made some, some mistakes this off season. As someone who roots for chaos, I'm definitely intrigued by that. And mm-hmm. I think you look at, I think you could say the same thing about Dallas is Denver and Dallas feel like the most impatient underachieving teams yeah. in the league. And Dallas is going to fuck like, around and trade for Vic Oladipo. That, it, that does feel like the end game here. But what's also with Dallas is they have fewer intriguing assets, but it's also easier to be like find a move that makes sense for them where it's, yeah, if you don't have to give up a ton for Victor Oladipo, that might be the guy that you need. Um, or is it, you know, do we just need kind of a um, a, a lower-end guard who could create his own shot? Do we just want sort of another big so that K, who can switch, so that KP can be a four on offense but be a five on defense or something? With Denver, it's like, what is the move here? Because Bradley Beal is not it. It's their defense that's an issue and I don't know who becomes available that is worth them making the big swing if you can do a minor move where it's you know is it Will Barton for Aaron Gordon Jr. just straight up basically um I don't know why I call him Aaron Gordon Jr. but um (laughs) is that like the move like that would be somewhat tantalizing but Denver does have the asset equity to do something huge I just and maybe you've given more thought to this than I I just don't know who is the player to go all in on for them just because based off what they need it's that three, four fringe star type on defense who provides offensive value. And I don't see that player out there right now. OG Ananobi. Um, yeah, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I solved it. The beginning of this podcast, I solved it. That's Look, I mean, if you get the Knicks involved as a third team that's willing to take on extra cap space because of the discrepancy of what OG's contract is worth inbound and outbound salary-wise, I would dig it. I just... Is, does Denver have the guts to like to me they would have to give up more than um, if I was Toronto I don't know that I would do Porter for OG straight up like I might want something else other than Porter just because of his injury history and knowing how much he's going to cost himself to to extend but that is look you make me oh, you think want some more chaos? I come on this podcast and that is probably the biggest brain bender you've ever thrown <laughs> me well, I got another one for you I got another one Michael Porter Jr. for DeAndre Hunter uh hunters i wouldn't i wouldn't do that if i was denver if there's other stuff involved Hunter, kevin herter too you can have kevin herter that might be interesting then because hunters defended like basically one through four this year mm-hmm. when he's healthy but now he's out for like yeah. four to six weeks and so that becomes That's true. him being hurt right now does change things but that was something else i thought about like get their own little above average harrison barnes and then get another ball handler in uh kevin herter I mean, at this point they could probably use harrison barnes like that might just yeah. be in the circle you know who they could really use? And I don't know if the Thunder would ever give him up. But like, can anyone pry Lou Dort out of OKC? Mm. I mean, you should be able to. Like, the Thunder should not be like, yeah, no, we, we like Lou Dort. Like, he, you have 75 picks. Like, he's not in the in the plans. Like, you, you are not keeping Lou Dort around for this rebuild. He is not. You have exactly one player on this team right now who will be around for the rebuild, and that's Shea Gilders-Alexander. Um I don't know. I just I would like to see, and also I just I'm getting more and more antsy about the Hawks, and um, I think leaning more into the let's just do the Nets thing and just score all the points and give up on defense. Um, like I, I just they've, don't think... they've been pretty good defensively this year, though. That's what's no, bizarre. but I just I don't I don't want it. I just I, I want to just lean all the way in. Let's just let's just do that because I think we're gonna get to the end game with John Collins too, where Collins and Capella is just not good together. It doesn't work. Um, and there's going to be some still 
awkwardness with closing lineups and what this means for Reddish and Hunter's development. Like, have you seen the usage rates in Atlanta this year? I have not checked them out in depth, no. Trey Young has a 37% usage rate this year. Yes, that that one is knowable. I thought you were talking about the youngsters specifically. Well, the youngsters are below 20%. Hunter and Reddish are both below 20%. I think they're at 18 Reddish has been disappointing for me as someone who's been trying to help steer that. He that has no choice. Watch these games. Like, I don't, like, Reddish gets his little moments and his little spurts, but, like, he doesn't have any opportunities. Like, there's no opportunity for anyone other than Trey to still do anything. Yeah, I, I just don't know what is the, does Michael Porter Jr. make the, I mean, they still do need that. No, right. I just want them to fight for the ball. I think that's just all I want, is I just want to see Michael Porter Jr. and Trey Young fight over the basketball every night. I mean, then you have John Collins there, too. Like, that gets... Collins is gone. Like, there's no way. And you once think? that came out with the Athletic about, like, him just not enjoying playing basketball with Trey Young, it was like, oh, yeah, this is this is over. Um, I think he's played well enough on defense this year that it might get a little bit more interesting than that. Otherwise, I would tend to agree with you. But also, like, you can't close with John Collins and Capella. And Capella's been awesome. Love the Capella experience. Like, I've very much enjoyed Capella. But um, I don't know. I just... The same stuff, and this was my worry with Trey, was that... Um, you can put in all the quality vets you want. Trey has been enabled to be James Harden, and Trey is going to not give up the reins just because you added more veterans. And I understand Bogdan's been hel- been hurt, and they still had Herder, they still had Hunter, they still had Reddish, they still have guys they can give but opportunities it was, to. They it's don't. the same guys from last year, though, because of how hurt their free agent additions have been. Like Even Gallo's missed, I think, more than half this season or yeah, something like I, that. He's actually number two in usage, too, at like 24%. But... Um, Gallo's been fine when he's healthy. It's just <laughs> the the opportunities are still not there. And I I I like Lloyd Pierce is probably out. Like I, I think this is probably it for, for Lloyd Pierce after this year. Would be my guess. I don't think they're gonna get above five hundred and I think they're gonna be around the play in game and probably probably miss it. If they don't make the playoffs, he's definitely gone. If they get into the playoffs, like if they're a six seed I don't um, think they're going to be a 60. I think they're going to fall back. Cause I think the Heat are coming. Because if you look at the East End. The Heat and the Raptors are coming for sure. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's going to end up hurting the Hawks. I think the Hawks are going to continue sliding down. The Hornets are. The Hornets uh, being better than expected also really hurts the Hawks. Um, and the the Hornets are just playing better basketball uh, as a whole. But um, I don't know. I just I think this is going to continue to get worse and more awkward. And. Uh, uh, is there a, do you have like a solution proposed though? Like I'm uh, assuming here's, so what I would do. Cheek. <laughs> I mean, the solution is take the ball out of Trey Young's hands and like be a coach and be like, "Hey, Trey, you're playing off the ball and we're we're installing possessions where DeAndre Hunter is bringing the ball up and we're doing high pick and rolls with John Collins and Trey stands in the corner and cuts and does stuff. Um Cam Reddish, here's some stuff for you. We're going to do some pin downs. Like we're going to call some plays for you. Like you have to go into this and say, "Trey, this is not all about you anymore if you want the team as a whole to get better and these lottery picks to get better that we traded up for and traded Luka Doncic for you have to give up the ball like he cannot have the ball a thir- like a 37 usage rate is preposterous with this group it's preposterous it's bad coaching I'm I'm with you but I'm also like have we seen enough of the Hawks at full strength to say that because I don't know if it's his usage is coming up. at the expense of a herder reddish or DeAndre Hunter like that's not gonna make me angry I would just rather be bad and them get time and more development than them speeding up the process to play the exact same way they played last year. You you see what I'm saying? Like they added all these vets and the vets aren't healthy and all that kind of stuff. But like, I don't know. It's the same kind of basketball just with Trey being better than he was a year ago. 
Um, Trey's also still not a shooter, and I Hawks Twitter losing their minds whenever he, he gets hot. When Trey's hot, it's so much fun. And like when the Wolves game a couple weeks back, he was just bonkers, and it was great. And it's fun. Um, Trey's still not a great shooter. He's an average shooter. Um, great passer. Great at the rim. Great foul drawer. But um, yeah, his floaters seem like they're starting to go down. I mean, look, Trey Young's been shooting like fifty percent from three over his past ten games. So yeah. I might push back on the shooting thing. Uh, there. What was he before yeah. that? What is he? And what is his highest to this point in his career? Let's see. Where is Trey Young right now? Uh, I guess it's more of like the Steph Curry season. stuff. Like he's not an elite shooter. He's just not going to be an elite shooter in this league. He's hit thirty-seven percent this season on the level okay. of difficulty of attempts that he takes. I think that's a fairly big deal. I don't. If you're if Stephen Curry is the bar. Then yeah, he's absolutely not clearing it. He's also not Lillard levels. Like he's not. Like he's he's okay. He's, he's league average. Look, he's this is year three. Lillard yeah. wasn't like hitting the the Curry attempts that Trey Young was taking in year what three. Was, hold on, what was Damian Lillard shooting in year three? I'm well, curious. there's also the you have to look at the shot quality that he's taking. Damian Lillard wasn't taking as many like 27 foot bombs off the dribble in year three. That just wasn't happening in Portland. I so I'm not even going to pretend to remember a lot of 2015 Damian Lillard. Uh, he was shooting 34, percent then he went to 37 the year after. That's year for, so Trey Young is right on schedule. Then I don't. I'm, I there are concerns I think with the usage you don't want him to be as like have an offensive monopoly like Harden did because he's not um, I think part of what made that possible is Harden was easier to hide on defense than yeah. than Trey Young is um, they also did a better job surrounding Harden with a co-star I mean we have to fault the Hawks here to an extent where it's like have they given him you can blame the coach but like have they given him the player to displace him from the ball yet I don't think that that player well, then is on you the don't trade up for DeAndre Hunter like you trade it for DeAndre Hunter is because you that think was, he can be that I mean, that was a questionable move to begin with in that draft. I, don't disagree, I mean, they, but that's what you do. Right. I just don't. Uh, DeAndre Hunter's not that player, though. Isn't that well, then clear? You're a failure and you move on. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I, look, I still think it's before any judgment's going to be passed on him. Like, there needs to be a team dynamic that actually invites him to give up the ball. And I haven't seen that yet. And look, maybe the criticism will be more fair this season if if bogey's healthy and gallo's healthy at the same time because then yeah he's going to probably be on the court with at least one of them at all times and he shouldn't be handling the ball as much but right now i don't see the incentive to move him off the ball at least personally anyway okay okay dan Fabali, what can we check out from you this week on the internet uh it's ironic that we're talking about the hawks free agency signings because i am regrading every team's 2020 free agency F for the hawks there you go. so Strictly free agency. Uh, spoiler alert, the Hawks did not grade out well. So that's a project I've been working on that will drop soon. All right. Go check that out. Dan, thank you so much for the time. Coworker, Dan Favalli. Um, I appreciate it. We'll be talking basketball more this season. Um, thank you as always, my friend, and uh, stay safe out there. You as well. Thanks for having me as always, Chase. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.